You brothers, you could move mountains without lifting a finger. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. Who's the greatest? That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. All together, yeah. The entire city of Miami is celebrating. I'm the new heavyweight champion of the world, and I don't even have a scratch on my face. Oh, my goodness. Cash. Cash? Why am I so pretty? <laughs> hey, congratulations, champ. I could get used to that. Uh, I was made in America, land of the free home of the brave. This movement that we are in is called a struggle because we are fighting for our lives. This ain't about civil rights. They ain't giving black people what they really want. What's that? Hey, I was made in America. That's why I'm out here saving America. Power. Black power. I like the sound of that. Uh, I wish I lived in America. We have to be there for each other. Uh, heard everybody rich. All I gotta do is run, jump, kick. I'm a kid in your area. Uh, I done made it to America. Uh, I'm amazed at America. Welcome to America. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Toure. And Derek Wong. So tonight we're discussing Regina King's new film, One Night in Miami, adapted from writer Kemp Power's stage play of the same name. The film stars Kingsley Ben-Adir as Malcolm X, Eli Gorey as Muhammad Ali, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. The play in the film is a fictional extrapolation of a real event which saw these friends and black icons gather together to celebrate Muhammad Ali's victory over Sonny Liston in 1964. So this film is streaming on Amazon Prime right now, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I caught this way back in the fall at TIFF, uh, Toronto International Film Festival. I don't know about you guys. You guys probably just saw it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Thanks for flexing on us. <laughs> Thanks for flexing on us, Jeff. Because <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to a film festival and see this. It's all in my house under quarantine on Amazon. Yes. Same here. There's no other way for me to watch this but on Amazon Prime. So that's how I watched it. Yeah, we're not all credentialed film journalists. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like I wrote my top 10 list and this was firmly number six on my top 10 list for last year. I really, really like this film. I don't know, I'm excited to hear your, your takes on this. And I don't know if you mind me pointing out, Amir, but you're you're a black Muslim. So I feel like I don't know if this speaks to you in any way, but like I just think there's a some familiarity for you to speak to more than more than us, obviously. Yeah, man, I definitely felt like I would have to carry the load this episode. We'll see if I can do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, all right. My but... name's Derek. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Already learned something from the film. Good job. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I definitely. Um, I get to start from the beginning. I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen the stage play. I haven't either, so. I have not either. I enjoyed this. It's, it's it's cool that it was based on a real historical event, and it spurs a lot of thought about that era. So I think it's, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think the performances were very good. I, I liked Regina King's direction. But, uh, yeah, we can get more into it, but overall, I did, I did really enjoy this. I really like that it was a movie about being black that didn't have gigantic stakes in it. You know, I think it was very intimate. And like you said, it's based on a real event, but it's obviously fictionalized because we don't know what happened when they all met up after the fight, right? But you can tell that it's uh, based off a of stage play. It's, it's like very intimate in nature. And, and I think the 
performances really carry this. I, I think I think they're fantastic, and I think Regina King did a great job directing this movie. I think she's she's one to watch for best director for the Oscars this year, and she's had quite the last couple of years, right? She was in uh, our old namesake podcast, Who Watches the Watchmen podcast. She was in Watchmen. She won Best Supporting Actress for If Beale Street Could Talk. I mean, I've been a fan of her since Southland, you know, that cop show back on TNT. Mm-hmm. Big fan of that, too. And this is like her half decade or whatever, I guess, because she's been killing it. Yeah, going from strength to strength. Yeah. I was just going to say, I remember the first time I saw Regina King was, do you guys remember this movie, Down to Earth? No. It is a um, Chris Rock-led comedy where, like, he dies and then he comes back to Earth as, like, this rich old white guy. Like, his body gets put into this I vaguely <laughs> remember this movie. Is it, like, early 2000s or, like, late 90s yeah, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. like, late 90s. It's, it's it's early 2000s. It's in 2001. I'm looking this up right now. Sounds like it would not go over well in 2021. <laughs> Probably not, but I don't know why I remember her in that movie. Because she becomes the love interest and all that kind of stuff. So, I remember that was the first time I ever saw Regina King in a movie. I don't yeah. know if that's what she would want to be remembered for, but that's what <laughs> I remember her for. And, uh, and The Leftovers. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we, good I talked about yeah. Just to give my quick thoughts, I absolutely love, love this movie. And to know that Leslie Owen Jr. is in this movie, uh, to quote one of his other famous properties, it's like the first thing I thought about when I, when I heard about this movie and like the premise of this movie. And in the s- staged musical Hamilton, there's a very famous song, very famous line, um, no one else was in the room where it happened. And that's exactly kind of what happens in this movie, mm, right? That's it, interesting. It is about a real night, right? In in mm-hmm. 1964, February 25th, you know, um, at the time, you know, Muhammad Ali was not Muhammad Ali yet, right? He was Cassius Clay and he had beat Sonny Liston for the heavyweight title. And, you know, these four men, these four friends did gather in this hotel room, but no one really knows, you know, what their conversation was. So, a lot of the conversations and the interactions we see in this movie are fictionalized, right? But I don't think that matters. I think what really matters is the actual conversations they have, right? The, the ones that are surrounded by, uh, you know, civil rights, um, things that are kind of politically charged, socially charged. The power of black celebrity. That's a big theme. Yeah, that's a big theme. So, like, I think, you know, my favorite movies usually every year aren't like the big spectacles, you know, with the, the, the big action or the most funny comedy. It's always the ones that I feel like, in a way I somehow can emotionally attach to. And this was that movie. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised looking back at 2020, this would definitely be one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie of last year. Oh, wow. This is kind of really like taking over my mind the last couple of days after I've watched it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And it, it actually got me to then watch um, Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Because mm. I've, I've, I mean, I'll admit, I've never actually seen that movie. Oh, you've never seen it? Oh, man. No. So, like, I've always, like, been interested in it. And then, like, seeing this performance of, like, one performance of Malcolm X, like, really sparked this interest in me. And I, I had to go see it. And, I, and that's on HBO Max. And I watched it on HBO Max. That is such a fascinating double feature. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because they portray, like, two different sides of Malcolm X. And, like, yeah. I don't think one is less genuine or more genuine than the other. I think the the Denzel performance is more like in tune with what we expect out of like Malcolm X the Firebrand civil rights leader and like exactly this yeah. this movie had like a portrayal of a more sensitive side to him and like 
like a more down to earth portrayal that I uh, that I really liked. I think yeah, Kingsley Benadire is like phenomenal in this. He's so good. Yeah, he's really good. I, I think this. everyone is good. Yeah. The thing I want to say is like I don't think any of these actors look anything like their real life counterparts, which is totally fine. I think it really goes to show like how much more like evocation is better than like imitation, right? Because like mm-hmm. I think they all embody like the spirit of all these like huge black icons, like these they're like monoliths in like in this culture, right? And like I think they all do a fantastic job like embodying that. Okay, so so looks wise, at least for me, I feel like Aldous Hodge is probably the worst fit. The worst fit. Really mm. like yeah, it doesn't really look like Jim Brown that much at all to me. But I think Eli Gorey's okay. Yeah, he's okay. Um, he's probably the he's probably the closest. Kingsley Benadir is pretty solid. He doesn't look that much unlike Malcolm X. No, you can see it. Yeah, he doesn't really. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Leslie Odom Jr. as uh, Sam Cook. It's also like he's a little Sam Cooky. Like these are not bad choices. No. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. They're not. It's not. It's not an exact one to one. Like whoa. Yeah. And, and that's difficult, I guess, if you know the person and know what they look like really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially the. Malcolm X and, and Muhammad Ali, right? Like, I think those out of these four are probably not to say that mm, these four aren't, you know, huge, you know, a- African American figures in our history, but I would say those two are probably the biggest and the most recognized. Mm-hmm. So, like, I-, I think they did a good enough job to, like, like you said, Jeff, it, it embodies the character without, you know, like, I, I understand I'm, just because someone looks like them doesn't mean they're going to act like them or be them, right? And, like, yeah. I'm more in tune with their performance rather than what they look like. Yeah. I loved Eli Glory's performance too. I think I think he like embodied that like bravura and like swagger of Muhammad Ali like perfectly. Yeah, he's, he he did a good job of imitating his speech patterns. I mean, I don't know what he looked like before, but he obviously got in shape for the role to look like Ali, you know, to mm-hmm. be a believable, you know, I don't know, 6'2", 200 pounds, heavyweight champion of the world at 22 years old, mm-hmm. you know? You do have to do some work to get in that kind of shape. Though. That's impressive, too, just yeah. from that standpoint. And and Leslie Odom Jr., he's, he's got a set of pipes on him, right? And like, yes. I think once he starts singing, it's like, it's like spot on Sam Cooke. Like, you know, very he, impressive. You know, he like studied like all the videos of him and like, it's just so good. And, and, and he's no stranger to like playing a real life person. I mean, I know yeah. Aaron Burr doesn't sing, right? We don't know Aaron Burr to <laughs> sing, but like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not a stranger to, knowing like what it means to try to embody a, another person like a real right. person right and I, I think that's really to the benefit of this movie that we got his great great performance as sam cook mm-hmm. so i don't know enough about sam cook's like, performances to know if the mannerisms were spot on mm-hmm. while he was singing but his yeah his voice is amazing so yeah i think he really does a great job there i was gonna say i really commend regina king for you know using his talents in multiple ways you know his ability to sing is great and we don't just see it as one performance right we see like three or four performances in this movie where he gets to sing and like i really appreciated that right like to kind of use his talent and not waste it in this movie Mm -hmm. i think it's it's always interesting when you can use an actor's like set of skills like that yeah um so i agree with you on that i wanted to go back to something that you said jeff the, the idea that we're seeing quote unquote like a different side to Malcolm X. And I totally mm-hmm. agree. Like it was watching those two movies like back, you know, I watched them all in the same, I watched them back, not back to back, but I watched them like this weekend. The different performances between, you know, Denzel Washington and, you know, Kingsley Benadire, 
where one, you know, like you said, is the more kind of, I think, typical performance that we've seen. And I think, you know, uh, Denzel Washington has really embodied that character for a long time, right? You know, I think that movie came out in like the 90s. So like, that's kind of been our representation of Malcolm X. And to see this one that is a little bit more muted, uh, more maybe personal, maybe the you kind of see the side of the person that behind closed doors, right? Um, and, you know, again, like we don't, it, it, it fits the theme of like, you know, this was a night where we don't know what happened, right? Like, it feels like the person kind of lets the act fall a little bit. And maybe, you know, we see the, I don't want to use this word, but like the kind of the human behind the the myth, right? Uh, that was Malcolm X. And I really appreciate that. I think this film goes a long way in like, educating people who might not have more than like an elementary school understanding of like the civil rights movement or whatever because like i feel like if you go through grade school you're like oh well malcolm x is the violent one and martin luther king jr mm-hmm. is the the peaceful one or whatever but like i feel like if you watch this movie you, you can tell like there's way more to that than those two like generalizations right and and i think even though this is a more down-to-earth performance for for malcolm x i think it still really shows like the fire with him, like how he lays mm-hmm. into Sam Cook for pandering to white people, and it's just a different side, and it, and it's fantastic, and, and I, I just really like it. So two things about that: the first, I feel like the movie actually, I don't know, assumes a lot of implicit knowledge, or like you need a lot of implicit knowledge going in, because I feel like if you don't know the background of these things, the movie doesn't so much belabor the point. Are you talking about like his his conflicts within like the Nation of Islam and stuff? Yeah, his conflict yeah. with the Nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad, his eventual death, and like his the shift in his rhetoric. I mean, he obviously hasn't gone on the Hajj to Mecca yet, where he comes back sort of a changed man and mm-hmm. changes his rhetoric. But I don't know. It feels like if you don't know this background, you could be a bit confused. Mm. I felt like watching the movie. I definitely wanted to know a lot more about hey, how much of this is realistic. And to that end, I do think the movie does do Sam Cook a little dirty in the way that it portrays him. It does a little bit, right? You know, I mean, I, I think this, you know, this sort of conflict between Cook and, uh, you know, X is sort of manufactured for the movie in a way as a as a way of having two poles of an of an argument. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think it's meant to represent so much the two real men as so much as like two sort of I don't know. Uh, countervailing thoughts about race, race relations in Black America, right? Like, I, th- I think it's, you know, so so it's it's so Sam Cook sort of sort of has to take a bit of a beating there, uh, which is a bit unfair in or in, in order to have the conflict or have the argument that the that the movie wants to portray. All right. I mean, do you want to do you want to go into a little bit? Like, a big crux of this movie is Malcolm X's issue with Sam Cook, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to. Talk a little bit about, like, what that actually is. Yeah, so I guess it, it seems, you know, the movie sort of portrays Sam Cooke, who's, like a, you know, uh, sort of at the height of his celebrity here. Well, it's already waning at this point, right? Because he's, like, at and, the Copa, and, like, he's, like, trying to perform for these this white audience who isn't really having him. So his star's already no, fading no, no. a little so, bit, so right? That's, no, that's, so that's in 1958, I think. Like that pre- that prologue scene? No, the the prologue scene's in 1963. It's only a year before. So, uh, okay. So, I think that that is probably not actually cr- – I think. True. Okay. Uh, I think the Copa thing, if I'm not wrong – It's like fudging the timeline a little bit. 
Yeah, so he performed at the Copa in 58. Now, 58, mm. he did have an album release. Sam Cooke at the Copa was a live album. It was released in, it was released in October of 1964, mm. but uh, it was recorded in July of that year. But I think those are two separate performances, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously this movie's in February, right? And then this uh, – the real-life recording doesn't happen until July. So, like, yeah. So, the movie's referencing – so, the, I think the movie – I don't recall if the movie puts a timestamp on it and tells us this is supposed to be 63, does it? Well, they they have the Cassius Clay-Henry Cooper fight, which is definitely 63, and then it fades into all the other characters on the, in the in the right. movie. So sort of you kind of assume implies that it's all at the same time, but it could it could not be. So like it, it definitely fudges the lines a little bit. So I think I think I think you're right there. Yeah. I think that's a little different, that change of the timeline a little bit. Because I, th- I think that Cook is actually doing quite well. Quite well at this time. At this time, yeah, yeah, in 63. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, he's uh, – he's and I, all the stuff he talks about, about owning the masters, owning the rights, and like all this stuff, all, all that is correct. And all that is real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the defense of himself. So, you know, he's doing really well, and the, and the film sort of portrays him, I don't know, as, as maybe not doing as much for black rights as he should have or – not participating as vocally in the struggle, and Malcolm X wants him to do more, and so on and so forth. And I think it has, it, I think it has to play a little bit with like the facts and the timeline to do so. Mm. Yeah, it's not that's to say fair. that like Sam Cooke is like a civil rights leader or whatever, but like it's just it does seem like some of the things that were untrue were tilted in that favor in order for the film to kind of make a point. Yeah, I think the the film goes out of its way to to make it seem like like exactly what you said, and then like oh, by the time the ending rolls around where he's saying a change is going to come. He like sees the light or whatever, but it's definitely not that cut and dry. Right. Because like, yeah, so that's also untrue, right? Because he'd already not only written that song, he'd also already performed it live. Like that, that performance that he gives at the end actually happens before this meeting in real life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's, that's just another thing that I think is not true there, which I think like, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, the movie, the movie's sort of making a point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I guess the point is this sort of strand of, I don't know, he's, he's not mentioned. It's interesting the movie doesn't mention uh, Martin Luther King really at all. Mm. Doesn't mention Booker T. Washington at all. Yeah. But mentions W.B. Dubois and has Malcolm X as, the, as, as a lead. So, I mean, I think it's sort of implicitly taking a page or taking the side of a more radical strain of black relationship to white people in America. Like, I think it's implicitly saying that this is the sort of the side we're taking. And I think in service of that, it sort of makes Sam Cook out to be a, you know, he becomes a bit of a straw man there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's not to say it's not more subtle than that and they don't give him good arguments as well, but it just does seem like the movie twists things a little bit in order to make it Serve its own narrative. Yeah, I, I yeah, think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think any play or any movie is going to kind of bend reality a little bit to kind of cause that dissent between the two I mean, I I know at the end they do come together and they're still friends, but like I think it serves the story well, and I'm okay with you know these kind of properties taking a little bit of liberty to kind of tell a, yeah, a narrative absolutely. that I think is still in the end really strong. Like I think you know Sam Cooke's arc in the movie is stronger for it. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's I mean it's a created arc, right? You know what I mean? Like it is it is a, it is an arc that is created in order to give him like that beginning, middle, end character change thing where in, in reality it seems like maybe he was already past that point mm-hmm. in real life right yeah that's interesting but but i mean i think out of the arcs that were, like, were not created like the Mal- whole malcolm x muhammad ali 
thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's absolutely exactly true to life. Right, right, right. The next day, you know, Cassius Clay goes from Cassius Clay to Cassius X. Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely completely real. Yeah. Which is very cool. I like how it's like, Sam Cooke aside, I think it, it captures like all of these real life people at like a crossroads in their lives. And I think that's quite interesting. Like, I know Sam Cooke, it's like a little bit fudged, but like, Cassius Clay is is like struggling to 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 convert to Islam, and then Malcolm X has his own issues with Elijah Muhammad, and then Jim Brown is looking to quit football to become an actor, and and it's all like they're all at like a crossroads here, and I I, mm-hmm. I think it takes advantage of that quite well. I mean, um, I mean, start, yeah, it's yeah. a very interesting time. In it is a very life. interesting. Like, it's time, absolutely right? a really a really interesting time. I mean. So Sam Cooke dies by the end of 1964. Dude, I was um, just gonna say, yeah, because like it's insane. He dies at 33 years old. If you're watching this movie and you don't know, like, I mean, there's like real, like real life tragedy, like right on the outskirts of this movie, right? Right because, around the corner, right? Because by December of 64, like you said, Sam Cooke's dead, and then February of 65, Malcolm X is dead. Crazy. And uh, the end crawls talks about Malcolm X's assassination, but. I don't think they me- do. They mention Sam Cooke's death in this. No, they, no. they don't. They right? only mention Malcolm X because his, his death is very weird. It is really <laughs> weird. I don't really know what it does. Yeah, really I don't know if you like, just like read the Wikipedia on it, but it's bizarre. Other thing that they mention, interestingly enough, is is uh, JFK's assassination mm-hmm. at the end of nineteen sixty three. Yeah, but I mean that is a big part of like Malcolm X's history, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. So uh, JFK assassinated on the twenty second of November nineteen sixty three. And when commenting on that, Malcolm X said that, you know, he thought it was like chickens coming home to roost, which, you know, riled a lot of feathers, Mm -hmm. including within the nation of Islam. Elijah Muhammad didn't like that at all. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, very much precipitated the the fallout between, you know, the NOI leader and Malcolm X, which was only accelerated by uh, Malcolm X finding out about Elijah Muhammad's uh, indiscretions. He was, you know, preaching uh, the importance of fidelity in your marriage, and he's impregnating a whole bunch of like secretaries and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and like leaving the kids. And I think it's interesting that yeah, this is a period where there's just like so much going on. Yeah, well, you know, within the, within it, uh, you know, I don't know, a little more than a year from then, two two of the principals in this movie are dead, and also like you've got Ali in such an early period of life where he actually hasn't done all of the things that made him Ali. Yeah, this is like the beginning for him. He hasn't fought Joe Frazier. He hasn't lost five years of his of the prime years of his career to standing up against the draft. So he's not really Ali yet. He's 22 years old. He's just proven himself. He's a huge underdog in this fight coming in. Yeah. Um, and and he, he becomes the uh, heavyweight champion of the world. But he's still – he's not – He's literally not even yet named Muhammad Ali. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, he even says it in the movie, right? When he when he wins, he like tells all the reporters like you guys didn't believe in me, right? Like I told you guys I was going to do this. Like it it's like a through line for his character that he has something to prove this night. Yeah. I do think Aldous Hodge's Jim Brown is a little underserved in this movie cuz like we've been talking for like like half an hour already and we haven't really said that much about Jim Brown, right? I absolutely loved – I think I loved all their performances. Yeah, I, I did. I did. But the thing is like thinking back at his performance, I still really love that the, the actor is the most subtle in his performance and the character himself is kind of the most – maybe not downplayed, but like, you know, he, he isn't the figure that, that is the focus of this play. But yet he 
what I loved about his character is that I felt like he was the one that was holding this group together. Mm. That's a good way of putting it. I love the moment he has with uh, a Malcolm when they talk about like the different colored skin tones between with, with black people. And like, you know, I feel like it's his talking with him that helps to influence, you know, kind of dial back Malcolm in that moment so that he later then has a great uh, moment with, with the whole group where he reenacts, you know, the moment when he saw Sam Cooke talk. Like, I think he's the most grounded in this movie. Uh, that's what I really appreciate about that performance. You kind of you kind of have to be, right? If you're sharing a room with Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Muhammad Ali, you've got to have, like, a presence to ground those three gigantic personalities, I feel. And it's a good performance. I really like it. But I, I think it's a little overshadowed. Yeah. By design, maybe. Yeah, I think by design, and I think there's probably very little you could do about that because of, like you said, the other people in the room. And I don't know how true it is to Jim Brown's real-life character. Yeah. But it's an excellent way of separating the four people in the room and giving them all distinct personalities Mm -hmm. and distinct points of view and basing it in real-life plausible, like, lines of thought. Mm Mm-hmm. That you can go like, okay, I can see why why real life Jim Brown might have said something like this, and even if it's not true, like you know, it, it, there's some verisimilitude there. So yeah, I, I totally love what they did with setting him up as a contrasting personality. I think the the strongest thing about this screenplay is we know that this is a fictional night. We don't know if the if any of these words are said, or right, or yeah. any of these events actually happen in this room. But it's something that you can kind of believe, right? It right is something that I think bodies these people and, you know, these characters, I think, are formulated on what we kind of know about these people. And then, and we kind of believe that these events could happen without actually knowing if they did happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. It does a very good job of that. Um, man, side note, I just thought about something that Jeff brought up with the uh, the Jim Brown, like, speech about skin tone to Malcolm X. A uh, very weird way to introduce, like, the concept of colorism to people. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a very freaking odd yeah. tack to take. I mean, it's not it's not wrong. You do hear that sentiment in the black community, but it's just like it's very, it's just it's just very a very weird and non mainstream and not twenty twenty one point to make about like militancy and the mm. color of your skin and having something to prove versus like I don't know. I feel like the natural twenty twenty one slam dunk point would have been. Talking about the discrimination that darker skinned black people feel, uh, you know, with respect to lighter skinned ones, and that would have felt very much more. That's a good point. I never thought about on that. point. Yeah. So, so it was a very. It struck me as very weird. Isn't he kind of making that point though, or what that scene was kind of partially trying to say that like there is a difference between us, and and sometimes it is harder to be one over the other, right? But I guess not specifically sure. saying yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. saying, right? Okay, I, I see what I see. What you're yeah, at. because yeah. what I do appreciate about the scene is that it's not like I think some other movies. This would be a scene with like a black guy and a white guy, right? And like it's like a black guy trying to explain it to a white person, and and maybe like besmirching them or you know laying it down on them because they didn't understand. But like what I really appreciate about the scene is it's two black characters talking about it, and it's this scene where you feel like these two these two people that are talking about it understand fully what what it means to have this conversation between them versus, mm-hmm. you know, him trying to explain it to someone that doesn't understand. I think the movie really shines in those places where the characters just kind of get to interact as like normal people. Absolutely. And clown on each other and make fun of each other. Like just stealing Malcolm X's camera and playing keep away with it on the roof. Like this is such yeah. a silly yeah. dude thing to do. 
that you can believe that people would do that. You know what I mean? Even though they're, you know, I don't know, from from twenty two. And Muhammad Ali gets some Ali some to... fun lines in there too. He's like in the mirror, it's like, oh my god, why am I so pretty or whatever? Yeah. You know, it's fun. I, everyone's just like, oh come on, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, this movie was a lot funnier than I thought it would be. Yes, there were definitely a lot of really funny movies that I thought hit. Yeah, um, in the in the character interaction, uh, the the ice cream and the drinking and the NOI members were very funny. Lance Reddick makes a very yeah. good NOI <laughs> <Yeah>. member. <laughs> He's excellent. His yeah. sort of deep voice and taciturn, kind of subtly menacing nature. Such um, a distinctive voice. Yeah, he was such him, a yeah. great choice for just like random nation of Islam guy. Like yeah. I were picking him. Like he was he was a great choice. I was gonna say to go back really quickly to that scene about on on the the rooftop where they're throwing his camera around. Like that was like the moment we kind of saw Malcolm X like break character, right? Uh, I mean, they you know Sam Cooke even mentions like, oh, you you let your speech go. Yeah, that was interesting, huh? It was it was a great juxtaposition to see that scene against like watching Malcolm X. You know, like where I mean, I think all the moments leading up to him, you know, going to jail and then becoming a member of Nation of Islam. You know, like at, after that point, he. We only see kind of like one kind of Malcolm, I think, pretty much throughout the rest of the movie. Versus, it was really nice to see that that break in character in this one, right? Where he just it, it kind of humanizes him a little bit more. Well, yeah, you've just seen uh, you know the Malcolm X movies. You know he was red before uh, he was uh, you know Malcolm X, uh, his gangster days, and he he kind of goes up goes back to red a little bit. In the, in yeah, scene. right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> just to rewind a little bit, I think I think the movie's pacing is a little awkward at first before before all the characters meet up. I think. There's a little trouble like getting the pacing right because mm-hmm. I think it does it is a little slack before everyone's like in the same room. You feel the length for sure, like and I think the play is a is, is a is a good deal shorter. Yeah, yeah. But but that being said, the the opening scene with, with Jim Brown was like that made my jaw drop. That was crazy to me. Yeah, oh, as soon as soon as he volunteers to I know, I didn't see I didn't happen. I didn't know like, where it was oh, going no. until like, he yeah, said where's that. this going? And then you're like, oh, no, here we go. Because it's Bo Bridges as Mr. Carlton. So he goes over to, like, talk about his NFL contract or his, like, his career. And, like, what's his name? Is Mr. Carlton, right? And, like, he's, mm-hmm. like, keeping praise on Jim Brown. And he's like, oh, you're such an excellent player. And, like, it's a very, very friendly exchange. And, like, there's, like, definitely admiration there. And, like, he's, like, just heaping lots of praise on, on Jim Brown. And then he's talking about, like, how he's doing work in the house. And Jim Brown, he... He offers to help him move some furniture, and and Mr. Carlton, he's like, "Well, we don't allow n words in the house, right?" So that, that just made my jaw drop. That was that was crazy. That's that's a good scene. That's a good scene. Well, yeah, it's it's a great scene, and even just the way he says it, he goes, "Oh, come on, Jimmy, you know we don't allow in the house." And it was like, "Whoa, yeah!" It just the it was just very. And he just has to like stand there and eat it, right? And that's like a family friend, right? That's like a guy who like his family has known for years or whatever. Um, and, and he even says to him early in the conversation, oh, Jimmy, you know, if you never need anything, you know, we're always here from you and you've made, you know, Georgia proud or whatever and like all this shit. And then I wanted to ask, what did you guys think of the like really quick green book mention? I thought that was funny. Yeah, I thought. It was good. Did it was you good. guys feel yeah. like it was a little bit of a jab or no? I feel like it definitely was a little bit of a jab. Okay. Really? Why? That's interesting. I didn't get the jab at all. What was the line? Do you have the line? Yeah, he's talking about how in, Ca- in California you don't have to uh, like use the green book or whatever because the neighborhood, uh, the Black Beverly Hills, 
you know, is a, it's all black. You don't have to worry about all that shit or whatever over there. But the whole quote is like, you don't need a green book, right? 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 Yeah, so I think like, like that's, the, yeah. that's the jab against. And I, I do think that it was, it's very overt because I caught it right away. Mm-hmm. Because it's no secret that Green Book might have won Best Picture, but um, a lot of people did not take to that very well, and and for good reason, I think. And and I think this was definitely a jab. I don't I don't think this was like subtle or stealth at all. I think I think it's it's definitely trying to say something. Calling it out by name, I guess Green Book. I guess Green Book does what like Derek was talking about earlier, where it's like the white person as the central figure and like the black story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. I guess that's what uh, Regina King is speaking to dislike to there. Yeah. You said best picture, maybe, or, or, or sorry, not best picture. So best, maybe director. best director for Regina yeah. King. I don't know. I think, I'll be honest, I think she's just workmanlike here. I'm not like blown away by it. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. I mean, 2020 was obviously like a shitty movie year, right? Yeah. I think Sonic isn't everybody's top 10 because there's just so few movies. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, thinking back to 2019, thinking about like my top movies there, I feel like there's there was definitely some more impressive directing, just quad directing than this. I mean, this is sort of a, I don't know, like I feel like it's tough to do a good like bottle episode and really shine and make it a, I mean, it's not a bottle episode, but you know what I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't think she shines here. I think it's just fine. I don't know. Do you guys disagree? You guys sound. You guys sound like you're both pretty high on the directing. I think on the directing front, I do appreciate this movie. Going into this movie, I didn't actually know it was a play beforehand. Mm. But by the end of the movie, I was. I did question. I was like, "Oh, was this a play?" And then you know, then looking into it, I was like, oh, it was a play. You know, it's adapted. You know, Kent Powers wrote the screenplay for the movie, also wrote the play. So I mean, it's the same person that wrote it, which was kind of cool. But I feel like to question it, but then not realize that it was, I think, is a testament to I think part of her direction, right? Like, you know, because it's a play, and I'm guessing the settings are very similar in the play, where you know it takes place pretty much all in one room i think it takes a lot of finesse to do that and to do that yes exactly it might not be the flashiest best director nomination but like i think it takes a lot of skill and i i do think that academy voters are in tune with that yeah who are the other likely nominees for best director well who directed sonic I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> I can't even tell you, no. I couldn't even tell you. But I think I think Chloe Zhao for Nomadland is is up it's there. It's on that list. Aaron Sorkin for Trial of the Chicago 7, which I didn't really uh. like. But Spike Lee is up there for for uh, The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's true. Fincher for Mank, maybe. This is, this is definitely the least. It's a rough list, dude. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's a rough list as like as in like not much to go on or it's kind of sparse man like I didn't see Nomadland but like I don't know like it feels like I don't know like Mank Trial of Chicago 7 like I don't know I mean The Five Bloods is up there for sure I guess this would probably be in the same mm-hmm. it was probably in the same tier I guess maybe yeah I mean it's definitely better than some of the other things you've mentioned right Going back to my point with the whole kind of like being a play, like I felt like 2020 was this year of play adaptations. Um, and we kind of saw the spectrum of those, right? We saw it here 
um, in One Night Miami. We saw, you know, Netflix did The Prom, uh, which was a, a musical. They also did The Boys in the Band. Disney Plus, I mean, it's not really, it is a movie, but it's not really like a film adaptation, but they had Hamilton. And then Netflix also had Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? Out of all of those, I, I do appreciate that this one feels the less like, the least like a play to me. Versus like, if you have seen The Boys in the Band, that really, really felt like play. Ma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom felt like a play to me. You know, like it, which it's not a detriment to those movies, but at the really, same time, Ma Rainey felt like a play to you. I, I mean, yeah. I haven't seen it, so I have no idea. But yeah, it, it nothing about felt that like a play. screamed play to me. Okay, interesting. Oh, well, that's so I, I guess I guess that makes sense because you you never even thought that this was a play until you read that, right? That uh, yeah. One night well, I, I had a, I had a, a notion near the end of the, uh, at the end of the movie. Mm. I was like, oh, was this a play? And then I, I looked it up, and it was. It was, right? yeah. Um, like, and I I mean, this is like so bad to say, but like, it, it's kind of like you can kind of tell it's a play because literally most of the time, like plays take place in like maybe one or two settings. Mm-hmm. So and this like, is it. That's, that's what this th- is. Exactly. That's what this yeah. is. So like, that's what made me start questioning it. But like, and that's what makes me start, you know, especially in the boys in the band, which all takes place in one living room. Right. And then Ma Rainey's just takes place pretty much all in like one studio slash uh, like, like little locker room music room that the band gets ready in. Right. Mm-hmm. And this was the same, but I think that this was crafted, like you said, Jeff, Jeff, well enough that it didn't feel like a play to me. So, mm. um, but yeah, like I felt like 2020 was just like kind of, I don't know, like, you know, we every year we always seem to get like a big musical or big some kind of adaptation of a play. I, I don't know about you guys, but 2020 felt like we got a lot of those. Yeah. And also they had a uh, 2020 had the new uh, Pedro Almodovar with a. Uh... The human voice with Tilda Swinton, one one woman mm-hmm. play, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 premiered at New York Film Festival, and that was a big one woman play, and I I really enjoyed that too. But but I wonder if this is like a trend that we're going to start seeing more, maybe more and more plays. Kind of, a, I mean, we got was no oh, no Cats was two thousand nineteen, right? No, it wasn't two twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it always seems to be one big musical. But like, yeah, I like. I don't know. I would love to see more plays kind of adapted this way, but mm. with the craft that I think Regina King brings to maybe make you feel more like a cinematic experience rather than a play experience. Yeah. Just to cap off the discussion of the film, like I know it takes liberties with the timing, but that that end with uh, Sam Cooke, the performance, that sent chills down my spine. It was so good. Yes. Right? Yeah, I was just, yeah, he it was, was really, really good. good. That was really sometimes like, they send one like right over the middle of the plate. You just hit it out the park, and that was that was definitely that. Yeah, I thought they were laying it on a little thick. With, yeah, they're laying on thick. It's obvious. Yeah, sure, all a, li- of that, a little but bit. It, with, it works. Once I saw Malcolm X in like the audience, I was like, all right, I, I get it. But <laughs> it, it was still <laughs> still really powerful. I, I first of all, I love that song. I think that song is fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Awesome. And I think Leslie Odom Jr. Probably does probably his best. Yeah, yeah. Really does it justice too. I think. But I think when you think of Sam Cooke, you think of that. I think of that. Yeah. Wait, are yeah, we talking yeah, about yeah. The, the Tonight Show performance? Yeah, the, uh, a change is going to come. Yeah. For me, the best scene in this movie was when Malcolm X is recounting that night in Boston, and mm. he's in the audience. He's talking about how like Sam Cooke basically was, you know, sabotaged and. And he kind of took that audience. Yeah, and that's good. <laughs> How he turned that audience around. Mm, that's a great like, scene yeah, too. And the and and we're talking about Regina King's 
directing like that was the scene right this where like they you're in the audience and you know as malcolm x is describing like oh like i all the mm. way in the back i couldn't hear sam but all i could hear was their chanting and like she's like pulling away like she's you're you're in the audience and it's like yeah, she's like pulling, pulling away through the crowd to the back and yeah. all you hear is that chanting and even like then the audience itself starts to mask your view of sam so like you don't even see sam anymore and all you hear is that chanting like that was the most it's I great that's that great was scene. the scene for me for this movie and like it, i i absolutely loved it what i love about this movie is that you know it is a it's, it's a movie about four you know figures in history and you know i think you know we talked about each actor and each character one having more cachet than the other in this movie but i still think that in this movie each character has a moment to shine which i really appreciated like yeah i think it's jim brown talking about you know the moment i I mentioned before like jim brown having that conversation with um malcolm x malcolm x talking about that that sam cook performance sam cook's performance at the end of the movie and then uh cassius clay just like i think he you know throughout the whole movie has just like amazing scenes and honestly really love the scene where he talks to that young noi candidate Mm. right groupie yeah and like <laughs> having that moment where he's like are you, were you like do you miss anything like yeah i like that a lot i don't know i love that I, honestly i love this movie i think it has such this great moments good. for everybody i i, I really a lot like, of really good yeah. moments in it it's it's good i think it's very thought-provoking i think if you if you don't know about these things i think it doesn't give you a lot but i think if you already have some background knowledge it gives you a lot to think about and chew on. Yeah, it adds a lot of color to the movie. And I think, yeah, if, if you have at least a little bit of an understanding of, of like the surrounding circumstances, the people, you know, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. Would, would you say it's one of the best this year or last year or whatever? Top 20? Probably, yeah. I think I think it's still, yeah, top 10. Top I 10, mean, yeah. For yeah, sure. Good. Um, I'd have to sit down and make a list, but I, I definitely agree with both of you. It's definitely at least top 10. Yeah, I feel like I haven't made a list yet because, like, normally, like, you know, with – well, no, in, like, in non-COVID times, I you know, a lot of these movies would have, like, hit theaters already by December, right, to make the cutoff for the Oscars. And I would have been able to, like, go see these in theaters. But because I'm not pressed, like, a lot of these I've been having to wait. Like, Nomadland comes out yeah. on, like, the 12th on Amazon Prime. Like, this just hit. So, like, it's really hard for me to, like, make a list of movies – of last year when I haven't actually got the chance to see all the movies from last year. And I think once I see Nomadland, not to say that mm. it would be on my list. Like, I think that's after that point, I might be able to like maybe formulate a list. Right. Cause I think I've yeah. seen most of the movies I've wanted to see from last year. Um, but yeah, yeah, after seeing this, definitely, I think this would definitely make my list. Like I've already said at the top of the episode, like this, it's really hard for me to not think about this movie in the last couple of days. And like, I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. But one last interesting thing i remember i don't know i don't know when's the last time you guys saw malcolm x dude it's been so long it's been a really long time yeah i think i'm gonna go back and rewatch it like in that movie there's a part where he uses um sam cook's um change is gonna come so that was like really surreal to me really that's yeah there's a part in the movie where that that comes on it's it's the part where he's like driving and then you hear it in the back like you hear it it playing over the the movie so that was a little surreal, like having seen these like two figures in this movie and then watching that movie and like and hearing that song come up in that movie. So I, th- I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. If you are in any way interested, I would definitely recommend this movie. And then good double feature. Go back and watch Malcolm X. Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice. Uh, but yeah, if nothing else, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, uh, where can people find you? 
You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? Um, you can find me online, Letterboxd. How about you, Derek? Uh, you can find me at the wrong Dave, Dave spelled D-A-Y-I-K, and that's for Instagram and Twitter. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to many, many more people. All right. And uh, if you guys have anything you'd like to add, comments, questions, suggestions, uh, please shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail, and sometimes we read it out on the pod. So if you guys have anything, shoot it this way. And with that, I guess we'll, we'll see you guys next week. All right. See you next week. Everybody. See you guys then.